Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Well, that's, a, that's a lot of years. <laughs> you know, I've owned two old Chevrolet trucks. I bought one, I had one for 10 years, and I put 200,000 miles on it. Then I bought another one, and I've had it 11 years, and I got 180,000 miles on it. I was at the gas station yesterday filling it up. (laughs) And I thought of 110 reasons (laughs) why the Amish are way smarter than I am. John wrote a beautiful book that bears his name. And in John, the first chapter, verse 1, John said this, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus Christ, the living Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things, everybody say all things. And all things were made by him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In the last chapter, that was the first chapter, first verse. In the last chapter of John, last verse, 21-25, he said there are so many other things. Say other things. It was all things, first chapter, first verse. Now in last chapter, last verse, it's all things. John says of Jesus there are many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down, each one of them, one by one, John said, I imagine that the world wouldn't be large enough to contain the library of books. In other words, John was saying from the time that Jesus began to speak the world and all things into existence without the use of any pre-existing material, until the time that the king of the universe walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem with sandals on, John is saying the exploits of Jesus are incomprehensible and incalculable. There are so many that if they were all recorded and all written down, there wouldn't be a world large enough to contain, some of it metaphorical, some not, to contain everything that would be in that book, that library of books. John also said he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, he who is, who was, and is to come, and he is everything in between. Jesus Christ is the living word. And because of John, in the first chapter, first verse, last chapter, last verse, I want to entitle this message, The Man in the Middle. He was the Alpha, the Omega, the Beginning, the End, and everything in the middle. That's who Jesus is. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God said to the Trinity, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image and in his own likeness. 
But remember, he said in John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we weren't created in a physical, natural image of God, but in the spiritual image of God. He said, let man be fruitful and multiply and let him replenish the earth. God actually said to Adam and Eve, Adam, you are the federal head of the human race. You will be the progenitor of every man, woman, boy, and girl that will be born upon the face of this earth. And they're going to be this race of people that the two of you are going to engender. They're going to be in my image and my likeness, and they're going to have my nature, which will be a God-pleasing nature. God said, I want to be able to look down and see a race of people looking back at me that are in my image, my likeness, and have my nature, which is a God-pleasing nature. Genesis 3.1, Satan said to Eve, did I hear that right? Did God say? And she said, why, yes, he did say. He said, the day you partake of the knowledge of God, That day you will surely die. He added one word. He looked at both of them and said, You shall not surely die, Eve. You shall not surely die. See, God knew the choice that Adam and Eve were about to make. And God knew that the moment they partook of his knowledge that they would believe a lie and be damned. They would believe the lie that they would become as gods themselves. They would no longer be subservient to God, but they would become a god. Having the knowledge of right and wrong, having the knowledge of good and evil, having the knowledge of what value systems and what belief systems and what moral absolutes to establish for themselves and others to live by. No longer subservient, but now having reached around God and taking Godhood for themselves, Genesis 3, 6, the man and the woman partook of the knowledge of God. And it was never God's intention for man to live by knowledge. It was God's intention for man to live by revelation, a living revelation that would be unfolding every moment, every step of the way as man lived for him and served him. Their decision to circumvent God and reach around God for Godhood. At that moment of disobedience, man died spiritually. You may ask the question, what is spiritual death? Spiritual death is separation from God. God's spirit left man. God's nature left man. A God-pleasing nature revealing a void in man's soul. And the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, the spirit of Satan entered into that void and brought the nature of Satan, a God-opposing nature with it. Jesus called it an antichrist spirit. 
Paul called it a God-hating spirit. He said in the last days which we live in, men will be haters of God. That's why our society, even here in America, hates the idea of God. They hate the idea of Jesus. They hate the idea of the Word of God. They hate the idea of church. They hate the idea of faith. They don't want to hear it. Accompanied by that God-opposing nature, that antichrist spirit, anti-everything that has to do with Jesus Christ, anti-everything that has to do with his church, anti-everything that has to do with his kingdom. And what is it? What is it? It is a corrupt, defective, spiritual genetic that's encoded, embedded, and implanted in the heart, the soul, and the spirit of mankind from that day forward. Every man born, every woman born, every child born in this world has that corrupt, defective, spiritual genetic. That's why David said in Psalms 51 and 5, he said, Behold, I was shapen, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me David was saying while I was in my mother's womb I was shaped by sin I was formed for sin and I was born in sin when I came forth from her womb see God pushed the button of the age of accountability When every human is born, God pushes the button. He don't allow children to go to hell. He doesn't allow babies to go to hell. He allows them to grow to an age of accountability. And then when they reach that age of accountability, the full weight of that sin principle, the full weight of that curse of sin is fully released into the life of that individual. But there's hope. A verse later David said in verse 10, create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit in me, indicative of the fact that David had had a clean heart at one time and had a right spirit at one time, but because of his sinfulness and his disobedience, he had fallen from grace. Jesus Christ David said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you reach out to him and when he creates a clean heart, when he renews a right spirit in you, by the Holy Spirit, God severs the chains of slavery to the man of sin and death and he tethers you to the man of life, the new man, Jesus Christ. John 14 and 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life and no man cometh to the Father but by me. First Timothy 2 and 5, he said this, there is one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Think about the role of a mediator. A mediator stands in the middle of two parties and then places his hands on both parties and brings them together. That's what a mediator does. You know better than that. I'm gonna be a mediator here. Get your hands off me, it's the wrong time. So a mediator stands in the middle of two parties 
that are irreconcilable. And what does the mediator do? He puts his hands on both parties and he brings those two parties together in unity. And a mediator must be able to do three things, show impartiality to both parties, identify with both parties, and represent the claims of both parties. That's what a mediator must be able to do. Because Jesus Christ was born of the seed of heaven, he was fully God and fully man. He could do all three of those. He could do that because he was God. He could do that because he was man. He could identify with God because he was God, with man because he was man. He could represent the claims of God because he was God, represent the claims of man because he was man. He could show impartiality to God because he was God and impartiality to man because he was man. He was the man in the middle. In Job 9, verses 2 and 3, Job had this interesting dialogue. And he said, if God were to step down and be a counselor in a court and sit across the table from me and ask me 1,000 questions, Job said, I couldn't answer one of them. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than my ways and his thoughts higher than my thoughts. And he goes on to say in verse 9, he said, and besides, there is no man living among men that is qualified to stand in the middle between a holy God and unholy man and be a mediator and put his hands upon both parties and bring them together. Why? Because all men had that corrupt, defective, spiritual genetic within their bosom. Therefore, it disqualified them from being before a holy God. God will not come nigh unto sin. He will not recognize sin or touch sin or be in the presence of sin. Therefore, there was no man, Job said in verse 9, to stand in the middle. And I like the fact that if you read on down in that chapter, he said, and besides, he's God and I'm a mere man. He's infinite and I'm finite. See, he understood I'm not God. Adam and Eve may have thought they were God. They may have tried to live like they were God. They may have made their own rules just like people do today. Well, I believe. Well, it don't matter what you believe. Well, I, I believe. Well, it don't matter what I believe. God's not interested in what you believe or what I believe. He, he gives us his word, says, this is my word, walk in it. If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. Walk in it, walk in the word. Don't worry about what you think, how you feel. Well, I don't believe this is right, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter how we feel. God's sovereign. He told Moses when Moses was whining and saying, you can't use me, I stutter, I grew up on the right, wrong side of the tracks, I'm in the wrong tribe. He finally told Moses, he said, he said, I will bless whomsoever I will bless and favor whomsoever I will favor and I will raise up and pour my prosperity and blessings out on whomsoever I please. So be quiet, Moses, and let me bless you, just be quiet. Sometimes that's what we need to do. Job, he knew there was no man that could stand between a holy God and unholy man and bring them together. 
He knew that God would not approach any existing man on this planet because they were flawed with that curse of sin. Every man on earth came from the seed of the first man, Adam, therefore disqualified himself because of that corruptness and that sinfulness that was within him. Paul addressed the solution that God provided for us. It was the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15 and 47. Paul said the second man, Adam, well, you might think, well, I didn't even know there was a second man. I know there was a first one that God created in the Garden of Eden. Yep, and he had a responsibility. And as Pastor Anthony said, he had been given advice and given an assignment and given a mission, and he failed at it. He decided he'd rather be God. He'd rather make the decision. He'd rather have an opinion. He'd rather decide what's right, what's wrong, what belief systems, values, and morals would be acceptable. I think I'll decide. I know more about this than God does. I'm down here living through it, walking through it. God is not. I know better about my situation. God said, no, I'm going to send a second man because he messed it all up. He was responsible for the original sin and the separation of mankind from God Almighty. But I'm going to send my son. He's going to be the second Adam. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to be a man that stands in the middle and puts his hands on both parties. God the Father, a holy God, an unholy man. And he's going to bring the two together. Galatians 4.4 Paul said when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. That's God's solution. When the fullness of time was come, when the right time, the appointed time, the prophetical time had arrived, God sent forth his son made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. That's all of us that were fallen because of the sin of the first man, Adam to redeem those that were under the law, that we might be adopted into the family of God whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, the man in the middle, came to stand in the middle, put his hands on a holy God, an unholy man, and bring them together once again so we could be adopted into his family and once again become sons and daughters of the Almighty God. You've got to remember that every man had this curse of sin, this corruptness within him. Paul went on in Ephesians 4, and said, put off the old man, that's the first man, Adam, and all of his corruption and deceitfulness and lust, and put on the new man, that's the new man, Jesus Christ, who is created after God the Father in righteousness and true holiness. When you put on this new man, you won't have that corrupt, defective, spiritual, genetic run in your life anymore. You won't have that God-opposing nature being the dominant factor in your life anymore. You will now have that new man, Jesus Christ, the man in the middle, created in the righteousness and the holiness of God, and you'll have a God-pleasing nature, and you will live in the righteousness of God. Amen. So all men were disqualified. 
because they all had the curse of sin. Enter the Virgin Mary. Wow. What a story. She was about to give birth. However, she was a virgin. I want to help you here a little bit to understand this. She had never had a sexual relationship with any man on the planet, yet she was ready to give birth, had brought a child to term, and he was about to be born. You might say, well, how is that possible? That's what they said. And the angels of the Lord told everybody, the, you know, the shepherds and Joseph and everyone, it's supernatural. Well, Joseph wasn't buying into that virgin story. The Bible said he was going to put her away privately because he loved her. And when you had a child out of wedlock in Jew Jewish culture, your life was over. You had no life. So he did love her and he was going to put her away privately. He didn't buy into any of that. And that night, God the Father had to send an angel to him during the night and give him a vision and a dream and said, Joseph, this thing, this seed that is within the womb of Mary is the seed of the kingdom of heaven. It is the sperma of God. This seed will produce the redeemer of the entire world and the redeemer of all mankind. Do not be afraid to marry Mary and take her as your wife. And he did. And shortly after that, the moment she gave birth to that child, Jesus, he put on humanity without putting off divinity. His divinity was that the seed within her womb was the seed of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, that was his divinity. But yet she bore him, carried him, brought him to term fully as a human being and a person. So he became fully God, fully man, 100% God and 100% man. He was devoid of the curse of sin. He was the only human being since the first Adam was created by God to live with no sin in his life. The first Adam finally sinned, the original sin, and brought us all down. When Jesus was born of his mother Mary, he was the first man since the first man Adam to ever be born without sin. Can you say without sin? First Peter 2.21 said Jesus is our example. We should follow in his steps who did no sin. Can you say that with me? Who did no sin. Say it again. Who did no sin. Get it? He did what? No sin. Hebrews 4.15 Jesus was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. Can you say that with me? Yet without sin. Without what? Sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says Jesus was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But Jesus was made to be sin for us who knew 
no sin. Knew what? Get it? He's the only one. Everybody else was disqualified. Sin can't stand between a holy God and unholy man. God won't come near sin. God won't participate in sin. God won't be a part of sin. Jesus was qualified to become the first man in the middle between a holy God and unholy man. He was the mediator that would stand in the middle and put his hands on God and his hands on man and bring them together in himself. John 14 and 10, he said, I love this. Here he stands in the middle, first man that could ever do it. And he said, I'm in my father, y'all. And my father is in me. And they were just scratching their head. Then he said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. And if you've seen my father, you've seen me. What was he doing? He was letting them know I'm one with Father God. I'm one with his righteousness. I'm one with his holiness. No sin, no sin, no sin, no sin. Not only can he come nigh unto me, not only can he fellowship with me, he is in me and I am in him. And if you've seen me, you've seen him. And if you've seen him, you've seen me. Then he turned to man. Over on the other side, he's the mediator. Already established his relationship with the Father and his holiness and his righteousness. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead in his trespasses and sin, yet shall he live. You've got to believe in me. And when you believe in him, the Bible says we become the what? Righteousness of God. How? In Christ Jesus. My Father is in me, and when you believe on me, you're in me. And you're in my righteousness because I'm in his righteousness. His righteousness is in me. You're in my righteousness, and my righteousness is in you. So he was the man in the middle that put his hands on both parties and brought them together. Jesus established oneness with his Father. He established holiness and righteousness with his father. And then he turned to man and offered that holiness and that righteousness to mankind. Did you know that Jesus, he did it all for you? Some of you people, I know you, I've pastored 50 years, I know people. They're so caught up on got to do the right thing. This Christians just, oh, i got to do the right thing. There's some truth to that. But you didn't bring anything to the table. You didn't bring anything to the table in the beginning of your relationship with God, and you won't bring anything to the table now. It's his righteousness, his holiness. And he said, it's my Father's in me and his righteousness in me. And I've brought you into me. It's all mine and everything I have is his. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you now. It's never belonged to you. There are even people who try to talk about heaven as being a reward. Heaven's not a reward. I've heard people, our great reward, heaven, it's not a reward. Heaven is a gift. Is a part of the salvific experience. If you're going to live forever, you've got to have a place to live. 
He gives you eternal life and a place to live. It's called heaven. Then he was standing there and he said this. You know, he'd just gone through the whole thing. My father's in me, I'm in my father. Then he brought them into him. Then he looked at all of them and said, I'm the gate. And they were scratching their heads. Then he said, well, I'm the door too. I'm the gateway to the kingdom of heaven and I'm the door to the Father and the door to the Father's love. If you get into heaven and the kingdom of heaven and if you find the Father and you find his love, you'll pass through me, the gate and the door. There's no other way. It's going to be through me. He talked about a straight gate and a narrow way. It's not narrow just in the sense that the number of people proportionately that will receive God compared to the number who will not receive God, one's narrow, one's well, it's not just that. I mean, with that goes the idea of all of us crowded onto this little narrow way and if you're not careful, you keep falling off the edges. No, it's narrow because only one man was qualified to walk it. Nobody else could. Everybody else had that corrupt, defective, spiritual, genetic dwelling in their bosom, but not Jesus. He was the only one qualified to walk the narrow way, the only one that ever lived the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life. I can't live the Christian life. Nobody can live the Christian life. He lived it and then he invited us to be in him and let him walk out his life through us. We surrender to him. But then there's also a wide gate and a broad gate. And these are the pseudo-religions of the world. The pseudo-ideologies and philosophies of good works that the world holds. And they're like a big spiritual cocktail. You ever see that big cocktail, the one in restaurants where it's about this big around, you have to take it with two hands and drink out of it? See, all these pseudo-religions, there's so many of them, all these pseudo-ideologies and philosophies of good works, they're like this big spiritual cocktail. You put a shot of Jesus, a shot of Allah, a shot of Buddha, a shot of Confucius, a shot of the Greek gods, a shot of the Roman gods, stir it around, take it and drink it down, and voila, all roads lead to Rome. Well, what does that mean? That means any one of these or any combination of these will get you to God. Not so. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. One God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. It's me and me only. Why do you think all the religions of the world, the governments of the world, the politicians of the world and the people of the world hate Christianity. It's for this reason right here. Well, you're not tolerant of other people. This is not our doctrine. Tolerance is not our doctrine. I don't tolerate false gods. I don't tolerate false images. I don't worship things that are still in the grave. I worship the one that came out of the grave and became the word, the living word of God. That's why we're hated. Do you know that your child today 
could write a thesis in school on Islam and nobody ever say boo about it. But you have him get his Bible out one day in class. They hate God. They hate the church. They hate religion. They hate faith. They hate you. See, if we just move over and say, yeah, well, you can bring all that stuff in, just mix it all together, we'll, we'll all figure it out. No. Jesus is the man in the middle. Always has been, always will be. He was the man in the middle between the two thieves on the cross. Sin abounding all around. But Jesus was the man in the middle. One looked to him and said, Master, remember me today when you come into paradise, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. The other scorned him and mocked him. But he was, in the, he was the man in the middle. Jesus is the man that will get in the middle of your mess. Jesus is the man in the middle of your marriage disputes. When you're standing shouting back and forth to one another, so filled with your arrogance and your pride and me, 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 I, 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 my, 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 ignoring the man in the middle. He's the man in the middle that can solve your marriage disputes and put your marriage back together and make it work. Jesus is the man in the middle of good and evil, right and wrong. When you're battling and going back and forth and the flesh speaks and the spirit, he's the man in the middle. Look to the man in the middle. He'll bring you to the right conclusion and the right result. Jesus is the man in the middle between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. During COVID, the Barner Group said that about 30% of the church fell away. You know why? Because Christians couldn't discern the man in the middle. They had the kingdom, uh, kingdoms of this world and all their political mask stuff and vaccine stuff and be bold. Speak. They had, all they could see was the kingdoms of the world. They couldn't see the kingdom of God. But most of all, they couldn't see the man in the middle. He is the answer. Not your ideas, your thoughts, and your philosophies. Jesus is the man in the middle of your alcohol addiction. All of these programs are wonderful, but Jesus is the man in the middle. Jesus is the man in the middle of your drug addiction. Jesus is the man in the middle of your sexual addiction. Jesus is the man in the middle of your confusion, your confusion about your faith, your confusion about your beliefs, your confusion about your purpose in life, and your confusion about your gender. He's the man in the middle that's able to solve and put it back together and make it work in your life. Jesus is the man in the middle of your psychological and soul, solical battles where your nerves, you feel like you've got a knot in your throat and you can't swallow and you're going to choke to death and your nerves and anxiety are racking your body. Listen, there's one solution. It's not drugs and more drugs. It's the man in the middle. Those things can help, but it's the man in the middle that can solve the problem and put it back together for you. 
Jesus was the man in the middle when the woman was caught in adultery and some were saying do this, some were saying do that. The man in the middle looked at her and said I forgive you and the rest of you who have not committed a sin, you cast the first stone and they vanished. Why? Because the man in the middle got involved. Jesus was the man in the middle at the wedding when the wine ran out and he turned the water into wine because the mother said, listen to him. There's a man in the middle. If you'll listen to him, you won't drink water the rest of the night. You'll have the finest wine of any wedding. He was the man in the middle when the maiden died. And everybody was saying, she's dead, she's gone, and mourners were there. But somebody looked at the man in the middle, and what did he do? He said, arise, maiden. He was the man in the middle when Martha and Mary were saying, why weren't you here? If you had been here, our brother Lazarus wouldn't be dead. But all of a sudden, one of them then said, but I know even now, even though he's dead, you can raise him up because you're the man in the middle, and he did. Jesus was the man in the middle for the centurion. When he told Jesus, come on down to Jericho and heal my servant, Jesus said, I don't need to go down to Jericho. I have authority. I'm the man in the middle. I can heal him from right here, and he did. Jesus was the man in the middle for the good Samaritan. The Bible said two men went down from Jericho to Jerusalem and fell among thieves that robbed them, stripped them of their raiment and beat them and left them for dead. But you know what? The man in the middle showed up. Jesus is the man in the middle of your mess.